Okay, this is Josh T. Franco interviewing Caitlin Murray at her home in Marfa, Texas on July 1st, 2020 for the Smithsonian Institute Archives of American Art Pandemic Project. All right, that's the scripted part, we're done. Hi, Caitlin, thank you so much. Um, we know each other a few ways, there's a, multiple reasons I thought you'd be great for this project to document this crazy year for the future in these dual pandemics. Uh, but we'll start first with most institutionally, I'm interested in that. So you're Director of Archives and Programs at Judd Foundation, which is split between New York and Marfa, and you're in Marfa. So just from that position, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about <laughs> what's happened because of these since March for Judd Foundation. Right. So it's been an interesting kind of reevaluation time period for us. Um, the, the big retrospective of Judd's work was open for about 12 days um, between the end of February and the beginning of March and um, at, MoMA. Uh, at MoMA. And um, we um, pretty around that time, not long after the reopening, we knew that we needed to shut down our public programs in Marfa, New York. So we voluntarily shut down um, our public guided visit program, which is our primary, the primary program that we um, host through the foundation which provides direct access to Judd's living and working spaces in Marfa, New York. Of course, at that time, you know, the pandemic was uh, really hitting New York very hard. Um, and uh, that has subsequently now shifted to um, the, the effect that the pandemic's ha having on Texas, our neighboring county to Presidio County, where we're located. Brewster is now, I think, well over 130 cases, which is, um, quite a lot for such a remote area with a small population. So I think um, the foundation's response has been, uh, you know, really rapid and really um, focused on uh, the health and human safety of our staff and um, of the communities that we uh, participate in both in Marfa and New York. That's been our primary concern. Um, we are still um, closed to the public and working remotely, even though in Texas, um, we now um, could be open to the public, but we've not joined in those um, reopening initiatives uh, and have no concrete plans for when we will reopen. All of that is really being determined by um, caseload and metrics and really looking at um, the ex uh, experts um, and thinking through what our local health officials say is safe for um, our staff and our neighbors. Yeah, um, as, as a one-time artist guide at Spring Street, I, th that's, I've been thinking about that a lot, but also all the historic artists ones I visited, you know, I was reflecting on how much you, it, it was, there was not a second thought about being in a small group of eight to 10 tourists right. going through a small private personal space. You know, I've done right. that certainly at Judd, but at Thomas Hart Benton's home, uh, S.P. Dinsmore's place in Kansas, all the places that Spaces Archive supports. That's a huge ecology of places. And I'm just, you know, wondering if y'all are even at the stage of planning for what those visits might look like or if they're even possible. Right. That's a great question. I mean, direct experience has been historically a cornerstone of what we do. Um, we are looking at different models, how we can provide a safe viewing experience that is not so tied to a, a guided visit model, but maybe there are opportunities to um, host visitors through 
um, more of what we call an open house style. That's kind of language that um, God had um, kind of generated for this time period when people are able to visit the um, visit the Chinati Foundation and Judd's um, private living and working spaces um, without having a guide, but being able to still bring a level of um, knowledge and information uh, while in practicing social distancing and um, keeping the, the, the group sizes very small. So we are thinking about that um, and, and that's, that's key on our minds. Um, but really, I think we've been taking this time to think about what we do and think about what we want to do moving forward in terms of um, online programs. Um, we pretty quickly transitioned to um, both hosting online programs, participating in online programs, providing the kind of uh, research and resource support for online programs. And we found them to be really successful, um, that we've been able to expand our audiences uh, and kind of deepen our commitment to engaging in, in partner programs. Um, and that's been really productive for us. Also just in that we do have our New York office and our Marfa office, being able to do programs that can engage both of those communities as well as a kind of broader Judd audience, uh, I think has been, has been a really nice opportunity. And I think we will be taking those things that we've learned from, from these experiences of, of having to do public programs, um, online public programs rather, and uh, taking that into the future and it will become more of what we do in general. Yeah, I think one thing, so last night we both were attended or tuned in or whatever you say now to uh, Eileen Miles doing their tour of art in their home with the Rubin Foundation, setting it all up. And it was great and Eileen said something, you know, about how the audiences have shifted and like, it's not just about numbers and reach, but like the nature changes. And I noticed that watching some of the Instagram live things that you've done and Rainer's done and Flavin's done. Um, watching the comments that people and just the kind of like feedback that as somebody as an art historian um, you know you just don't think of doing and so watching like the nature of audiences change has been interesting have you been feeling that or observing that? yeah I I definitely feel the same way I mean you know in Marfa we're a small community we generally have the same 75 to 100 people participating in our programs and that's even the case in Soho and I think that this has been a great experience to, it's been great to widen our audience and also, <coughs> excuse me, it's provided us with opportunity to engage a diversity of different um, people to converse with. It, in some ways it's, it's uh, there's challenges to doing online programming, but there's also, you know, people who are just in their home all throughout the world you know, they're like, oh yeah, I can do this conversation. And so instead of having to fly people to New York or to Marfa, um, you know, we can talk to people that we, otherwise it would have been, you know, cost prohibitive and travel, very difficult in terms of travel. And that's been really great. And I look forward to, um, as we continue with online programming, being able to partner with other organizations um, and uh, partner with uh, voices and people from from other institutions that we haven't been able to do because of distance and i think that's a great opportunity for us and have where we wanted to move to anyway in terms of widening the idea of who donald judd is and what his concerns are i mean as you know as you know 
Judd was an artist who cared deeply about ecology, cared deeply about local democracy. And I think being able to bring in voices on those issues um, from, from other places around the world, as well as still being um, you know, very focused on what's happening in our communities will be really productive for us. Yeah, that's great. Um, I know another thing you do is feel the researcher inquiries and you're yeah. the point of access for the massive archive of personal papers Judd left behind and that the foundations, you know, accrued in, in the past years. Um, have those, you know, we, we're seeing things change here in our reading room. So I'm sure yeah. things are changing for you in terms of research and how you provide it or don't or, yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I mean, right now, the majority of our staff is working from home and I am working from home. Uh, most of the time. So we are not facilitating on-site research requests right now, but because we've always been a remote repository three hours from the airport, um, we have really tried to make sure our remote access um, is something that we can provide really efficiently and readily and that we're very open to. You know, obviously we know that, that there's no um, surrogate for the direct experience to Judd's work or to the materials. But um, I think as this, you know, whether it's just because we're remote or because of the issues related to the pandemic, um, we will continue to invest time and resources into being able to provide um, remote, uh, remote research opportunities. And, you know, I think I think that we still have been fielding requests, not as many as, as normal, but I think, you know, the, the public programming has been really helpful with that of kind of providing access to resources. We've been putting more uh, of Judd's writings online. Um, we've had a number of publications that we've worked on in the past five years that, with, that were really um, focused on trying to provide material from the archive um, to to a general audience, both scholarly and just people interested in Judd, and and, um, and now with those projects complete, um, I'm hoping we can really turn our attention back to completing the process of the Donald Judd papers. That's really key for us. There's still, I think, a lot of material um, that we've yet to really uh, organize and make accessible. So that's kind of where our focus is heading now. Um, is to, to really complete that necessary work so that even more of the papers will be accept, uh, accessible for researchers and then seeing how we can um, engage uh, robust digitization projects to provide online access as well. Yeah, the, this time has weirdly been great for all those back burner cleaning up records projects. Like those, we are getting those done. <laughs> They've been waiting is kind of a good thing. Um, yeah. So I want to pivot a little bit and talk about Marfa, you know, a little bit beyond Judd, because that's yeah. huge. And, you know, you, I was thinking, with Kay Turner, they did the previous, or mm -hmm. um, we were talking about our heart homes, and she's in Austin, which is home with her partner, but her heart home is in Brooklyn, where she's lived for years. Right. And uh, I remember, you know, I was compelled back in early April, March, my heart home became apparent because all of a sudden I really needed to re-up my Marfa Public Radio membership and buy the solidarity bonds. <laughs> like that's where I was focusing that kind of thing. Um, right. But you, you know, you're such an important figure in Marfa and you, along with Tim Johnson, run Marfa Book Company, which is such an important like nexus. And Marfa is this place that like connects so many people and not just in the American art world, but the global art world. And I'm wondering yeah. if you're hearing from people um, 
you know, to consider Marfa a special place like so many of us do? Are they checking on you? Are they like, I want to come escape to you? <laughs> What's... Yeah, I mean, it's been a complicated question. You know, we have this, we, our economy is now, um, has a large tourism uh, focus, mm -hmm. which has its pros and also has its cons, I think, especially as we've seen during the pandemic. Um, I think what's, you know, interesting from the Judd and Judd Foundation perspective is that, you know, we, our records reflect a time before there was tourism here, yeah. um, when it was Donald Judd, you know, making the Chinati Foundation, and we're talking about hundreds of visitors, not, you know, tens of thousands. And I think we've been really looking back to that time, which it really isn't even that long ago. We're talking about maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, and, and what the economy looked like then. And, and in keeping with Judd's spirit, thinking about sustainable economic methods for our town, ways that people can have jobs um, and have work um, that uh, allows them to be safe, that is not only service focused, um, where people can make things here and, and make things that then go out into the world instead of primarily just bringing people to this place. It is special, but as you know, as you know, we have an elderly population that really needs to be taken care of and protected. We don't have a hospital here. Um, and we have exceedingly high levels of the, the population are uninsured. And so we have a lot of real challenges that don't always get expressed in the news about Marfa, as you know. Um, and I think I've, I've been particularly um, impressed with how Judd Foundation in particular, Rainer and Flavin Judd, Judd's um, daughter and son, have been thinking about our relationship to the community during this pandemic and knowing that we are one uh, small part of a larger ecosystem and that we really need to take our role in bringing people to the town um, very seriously and really letting people know that right now it's not a safe time to be traveling to Marfa um, and and that our ability to provide I think some public programming and connection to this place without having people physically be here uh, has been one contribution and frankly just staying closed um, I think has been a, a, a contribution that we can bring sometimes not doing something mm -hmm. is is as powerful as doing something, I think, especially when, you know, we know that staying closed is really crucial to um, fighting the uptick in this pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being I will say, Marfa's also a strange place in terms of world events, because you, you know, you have these connections with all these great friends um, and, and artists throughout the world, but you kind of, you're in a rural place and there aren't the same sort of activities when it comes to um, uh, direct action um, and, and participation in, in civic activities. It's on a much um, kind of smaller, more like one-to-one -one community scale. And there's something very beautiful about that. But there's something that can also make you feel, um, you know, you do feel remote from these really important actions in terms of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement in particular. And so I think for all of us, we have to think about what we can be doing from this space um, because we don't have the opportunities to be going to to pass as a lot of our 
um, friends do. And so I think it, that's always been a little bit of a struggle, at least for me living here is kind of um, knowing what's going on, but feeling distance from it and having to find a way to participate that still feels meaningful. Yeah, I hadn't thought it's, it'd be take a long, lot of effort to get to a march. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and there was a Black Lives Matter um, march in Alpine, which is really wonderful. And I know that a lot of, there was a lot of participation in Presidio as well. So it is happening. Um, and that's something to be ex exceedingly grateful for. Um, but then also thinking about, you know, the specifics of our community here in Marfa and how the intersections of Black Lives Matter with other questions about economics and the lives of um, our friends and neighbors uh, who are people of color in this community. Mm. Um, so it's, these go so quickly, this is crazy. I'm used to like two days of conversation. <laughs> so for the last few minutes, uh, what do you think's been missing from accounts of, of both pandemics, of both crises around race and COVID? Oh gosh, what's been missing from both accounts? You know, this, this has, I think it's been really interesting. I will say in, in Marfa, there is a level of anger that's come out um, in our kind of social media communities. Um, we have a kind of online Marfa group and I have noticed a lot more anger and this anger is being you know, directed at questions of gentrification, questions of local versus non-local, of tourists and so on. And these are questions that have been omnipresent in our community. The, the level of anger, I think, has um, risen, and I think it's been interesting to see the kind of call for people to stop being angry, hmm. um, and I, I, think, I think that anger in this instance is really important to be able to express, and that it is a step towards moving to direct action, and so it's been kind of, I think, for me, what's been missing a little bit in our community and what I hope can be fostered are, is the ability for people to voice their anger and their frustration. And um, even if it isn't coming out exactly in you know, a way that is productive or useful, I think, it, I think people feeling like they have a voice is really key in both the, to the questions of Black Lives Matter and the, the questions of the pandemic um, and to being able to share their experience and, and be heard. Um, and I think it's important for everyone to be able to sit in discomfort in this and let people speak and, and be angry um, if, if that's the emotion that's coming out. Um, I think that's perfect. Okay. <laughs> important thing to end on. Uh, thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, Josh. It's been a pleasure.